The Navy is already down the path of its zero trust efforts. The principal cyber advisor at the Navy, Chris Cleary, says his service started on its zero trust journey before the White House executive order on cyber ordered it. Alexander Romero's director of strategy in the chief technologist office at VMware End User Computing, VMware sponsoring today's Daily Scoop podcast. Alexander, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. The Navy is just one example of an organization that's converting this into an amorphous term, a buzzword, into action. What are you seeing agencies doing that are doing that well to really convert this from something that's written down on paper to something that they're actually doing? Welcome. Uh, thank you very much. So what we're seeing is a, a good tactical approach to breaking down zero trust into different component sets. So if we think about how do you provide zero trust to organizations that have got you know thousands, tens of thousands, millions of endpoints, as well as workloads, you put those into five different buckets. So begin with device trust. That's important to understand, is the device trusted? Next into user trust, another huge huge bucket. Uh, then you look at the network and you think about network or transport session trust. Uh, from there, you move on to application trust, right? These are where the workloads are trusting. And uh, then even down to the data level, data trust. So what we're seeing with agencies is the ability to break down these different components and then begin to put in place technologies that can support zero trust in each of those different areas. What does a proactive approach to each of those five pieces mean and how does an agency effectively do that, Alexander? Yeah, so a uh, proactive approach is, uh, you know, it's kind of like, how do, you eat, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm-hmm. So it's really thinking about among the, if we go back a little bit into what I'd say many agencies are used to, is they're very much used to a castle and moat type of security approach. And the castle being, right, all the data, all the access, everything being behind this great security moat. And what we're seeing is with the evolution of of cloud adoption and cloud technologies is the ability to begin granting access only to the devices that need those access and the people that need those access and even the network that needs those access uh, at the right time, right, at the right place. And so the kind of tactical approach is beginning to say, okay, even as we have got what seems like a uh, infinite amount of legacy technologies, um, proceeding with, you know, technologies that enable from the start those zero trust principles is very much so the way to go. And wherever possible, then, you know, beginning to transition out of the old and into the new. You laid out those five pillars, as VMware calls them, five pillars of zero trust architecture. And we have a link uh, to some of the work that you've done in the show notes today at the dailyscooppodcast.com. Are those linear steps, Alexander? Is, is So for, would the first thing an agency do when they're walking down this path be device trust and then user trust and so on? Or is the technique, the execution steps, does that look different than those five pillars? Uh, the execution is going to be different for every agency. I wish there was one way, one magic kind of set of steps that was a nice waterfall diagram that got them there to zero trust. But the reality is that uh, these agencies have got very complex missions, um, ranging from the intelligence community to Department of Defense to civilian agencies. And so those needs vary quite a bit, as does the technology supporting each of those different ones. If you look at something, um, let's say, like training programs, 
difference, right? Training programs in the Army may be very different than training programs in the uh, in civilian agencies or at NASA, and they might be on different technology journeys. So a lot of it is thinking about, okay, well, where are the places where we, you know, as an org- as an agency can, like everyone's asking, get the most bang for our buck in both improving security and delivering, um, you know, modern capabilities uh, to our mission. And so when I th- when we think about that, right, there's actually a good example of a law enforcement group um, that we have a reference to. And that law enforcement group was able to enable applications on iPhones, as an example, um, building, you know, in a zero trust framework. And those applications could be as simple as collecting crime scene data, looking at shift schedules and being able to know uh, which areas they're supposed to be um, uh, gathering community information on, and just even the deployment of that technology and then enabling access to it made a huge improvement in the way they were serving the community, that uh, law enforcement agency. You know what? As you were describing that too, Alexander, it occurs to me, I might have been thinking about this the wrong way because when I think about where agencies start, I'm, I guess I kind of assume an agency starting at zero and you use the term different technology journeys. Everybody's at a different place. They might have some of the elements in place already for a successful zero trust transition or they might not. So maybe I guess everybody's journey will be different depending on where they start from and what they have to start with too, right? Correct. And the larger they are, the more complex they're going to be. Um, in many cases, uh, and I'd say most uh, you know, federal government agencies are fall into this boat. They've got different teams for desktop, um, different teams for network, for user security, even for um, policies and procedures. So trying to orchestrate and string all that together um, and move, you know, and move things towards zero trust, very, you know, very difficult. Um, a lot of it begins with, okay, setting up those pillars and then kind of distributing the goals down to say, okay, let's see with our devices and user devices to start out with. That's an area that I'm, I'm very familiar with and end user computing. Um, there, what what do we have in place? Okay. Where are the gaps? Are we already doing some of these uh, zero trust capabilities? Basic things like, is the operating system up to date? Or how about this? You know, has this device checked in? Do we have a, a, do we kind of have quote, a heartbeat on it, so to speak in the last six months? Well, wait a minute, let's start figuring out why are there so many devices that are, you know, offline. I'm just using some anecdotal examples because there are hundreds or thousands of these use cases or anecdotal examples. One could just be devices that are, you know, hanging as displays, right, inside of an airport, right, or somewhere else. And it's like, well, wait a minute, is it possible for those devices to run some form of malicious code? You know, these days, absolutely. How do we make sure and bring that picture uh, together of everything that's going on in the environment. Um, those five pillars of zero trust architecture that you talked about earlier, Alexander, reinforces in my mind uh, a problem that CIOs, CISOs, CTOs tell me about just about every time I talk to somebody about what they're thinking about about security. And that is the culture or the mindset of their organization, not the technology. I mean, the way you lay out the technology that's available, that's doable, and that's that's implementable. The problem is, and you mentioned that moat concept earlier, mm-hmm. moving 
the view of their employees, moving the view of the way people think about what they're doing to the the zero trust mindset. It's probably harder for a lot of those folks. At least they tell me that it's as challenging for them, if not more challenging than the actual plugging the stuff together and making it work. Yeah, where I've seen the uh, the most advancement in delivering modern technologies to on a mission, right on the mission objectives, is really where the the experts that are making the decisions about policies are taking a look at those policies and going, does this make sense? All right. Very abstract concepts. So let me bring it down a little bit. So if you think about something like a, a STIG, a standard technical implementation guide, right? That may have been written, you know, years ago or a few years ago and based on certain standards and operating procedures that made sense in a very PC-centric world, right? Where I've seen success is when um, is when decision makers look at the principles of, okay, why was this technical implementation guide said to specify this control in this way? And then they say, okay, well, that's because the NIST standard says that you need this form of encryption in order to wipe things out. Uh, Then you say, okay, well, is that same control available on a modern platform? And they say, well, yes, it is. Well, if it is, then why do we need these 12 other controls? Does that make sense? So it's like in the old world, well, we needed 12 controls because we couldn't quite meet that guideline. But in the new world, we don't need those 12 controls. So stop trying to put those 12 controls on top of the main important one, which is that the device, the encryption keys are thrown away, never to be seen again. And as a result, uh, you meet that NIST standard. So when co- when when leaders have gone to that level of depth to say, does this policy really make sense? Um, and then gone to the kind of root of it, right? The NIST standards, then they can say, wait a minute, I think there's a better way to deploy these technologies, have a faster uh, outcome and better mission outcomes because we're getting, right? At the end of the day, when I think about end user computing, it means that we, it, it's the idea of, for someone to be able to, in most cases, do their mission, they need to be able to interact with some store of record on the back end. And so the more difficult that is, the more hoops, the more you know VPNs that have to be joined, bad network drop, et cetera, passwords, the harder it is for them to do and, and succeed in their mission. The easier they can get access to whatever system of record is needed to do their mission and then process through that, the faster and better the mission outcomes are going to be. Alexander Romero, VMware. Great conversation. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.